in the church I served uh, before coming here, one Sunday morning, a uh, woman was reading scripture, and this woman who was reading scripture, um, her name was Dorothy, and she was in her 90s, and she was not quite the matriarch of the church, but had every, every bit of respect given to her. And, and, she, and it was her turn to read, and she was in the choir that Sunday, and, and, and so she just read her verses from the choir loft, but she read from the wrong page. She was supposed to be reading like the Ten Commandments. And she started reading this passage about how, um, how you're supposed to treat your animals when your animals weren't doing what they're supposed to do. And, and it just got weird real fast. And in the most dignified way, she finished the verses that were assigned. And she said, I, in an Alabama accent, I, I believe I've read the wrong verses. And I'm going to read the right ones now. And so she turned the page and she belted out the Ten Commandments and it was glorious and it was great. And I thought, you know, um, nobody comes to church to listen to those, ver- those first verses from Exodus that were read. No one wants to hear uh, what you should and shouldn't do with your animals. And uh, that's the kind of stuff the middle school boys read about when they're flipping through the Bible looking for funny things to find. There are some passages in Scripture that we don't necessarily come to church to hear read. They're not the ones that are the most loved. We love to hear about the prodigal son. We love to hear about Easter Sunday. We love to read about baby Jesus put in the manger. And the five verses that are assigned this morning from Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20, those five specifically left alone are not the ones you come to hear. But we're going to read them, and then we're going to situate them within the whole of chapter 18. Because from the whole of chapter 18, we read the importance and the gift and the power of a true, faithful gospel community. Matthew 18 is an interesting chapter of the Gospel. It's not the most memorable one, but it does teach us matters of great importance. The verses we read relate to how we treat and treat one another and behave with one another. And verses 15 through 18 feel jarring if left alone. That is why I do want to talk about the parts that come before verse 15 and the verses that come after verse 20. If you're looking through Matthew 18 and your Bible has you know, those little subtitles, you'll see that the first section of Matthew 18 says, If you want to be great, you must become humble like a child. Then you read, if there's anything that you're doing that's causing your brother or sister to stumble, you should stop doing it. Take it out of the way, out of love and reverence for them. Then Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep. How if if one sheep wanders off, the good shepherd goes and gets it. Then there's the passage we'll read in a second. And immediately following our passage... Disciples ask, how many times should we forgive? You forgive 70 times 7, which is 
not 490, but is a way of saying, you forgive countless times. And then finally, there is a parable that illustrates it all. The unforgiving servant is not forgiven. On the surface, just reading 15 through 18, just reading about how we are to admonish one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, how we are supposed to to speak about and tell one another about the most difficult things, it seems impossible. And it doesn't actually happen very much. But when we situate it within the entirety of the gospel passage, it makes more sense. We see that telling one another the truth is a part of realizing a deep life together. That talking to one another instead of about one another is a vital part of creating a gospel community and creating the kind of community we want to be a part of. But we also should see that this part of the passage that we read, this part that makes us squirm a little bit, that makes us uncomfortable, is is the part that we get to when we're living out the rest of the chapter. It becomes an important part we embody as a gospel community, but not maybe not the part we lead with. It's the part that we engage in after we fulfill the rest. We consider that as we turn to this difficult gospel reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word can be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. If the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever is loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If I asked you to raise your hand because you love the church constitution, or you love the church core values, or you love the church covenant, I suspect I would only get polite hands. If I asked you to, to, if I asked you to like, recite any part of those, you might have to raise polite hands as well. You'd have to raise polite hands like the preacher who offered the children's sermon showed a picture of a squirrel and said, now what is this? And the little child says, I'm going to say Jesus, but it sure looks like a squirrel. (laughs) If I asked you to raise your hand because you love our governing documents, you would raise your hand politely because you had to. But for the most part, we don't deal with them. 
For the most part, church people only talk about a constitution and, a by- and bylaws when we have to figure out how to do something right. And we only talk about our core values when something comes in conflict with them. And, and, and really, it's unfortunate, but we forget our covenant. Now, I love our church covenant. I should have had it printed today, but, but, I'll, but I can get it to you if you want it. Our core values are very, very important, and our constitution is a constitution, so it engenders very little passion. But our simple six-point covenant is actually celebrating its 105th anniversary this week. It was adopted by our church on September 14th of, 2000, or of, of um, 1912. It's written correctly here. And the first point of the covenant says this, that we will exercise Christian care and watchfulness, watchfulness over each other, and warn, exhort, and admonish each other as occasion may require. How do you feel about that? I remember one night in Vespers I was teaching about this. We went point by point through the covenant and the room was quiet. Everybody was kind of squirming. They had agreed to that first part about Christian watchfulness over one another. But in my head, whether this is the truth of what happened or not, in my head, one lone voice said to the second part, not going to do it. And you know, that felt about right. It feels about right because we don't come here to have people point out our own faults and imperfections. We know the places where we don't live up to what we want to. We know the words people could speak to us that would crush us. We know what we want to hide, and we know what we want to keep between us and God, and we even know the parts we don't want to keep between us and God, we just want to keep to ourselves. We don't come to church to have people point out our mistakes. We're pretty well aware of them all already. So why does Jesus tell us this? Why is this here? Why would Jesus, in his timeless word, why would the writer of the Gospel of Matthew, who had a limited amount of space to write, to tell this story, why would he include this? The best I can come up with is that I suspect it's because we're called to be a different kind of community and a different kind of people. And that getting to the point that we're living together in such a way that we can say this to one another reflects that we are so enriched in our life together that just sharing a surface level of existence is not satisfactory anymore. And that sharing what seems like a really hard conversation has actually become a part of just who we are. Now, we know that the church is supposed to be a different kind of community. You know that the church is supposed to be different. And maybe that's why the church disappoints us so much. Because we have such high standards for the church, or for ourselves as the church. But the church is a different kind of fellowship because, ultimately, it depends on all of us together. All of us 
are required to use our skills and our gifts and our talents and our being together. If we allow our mind to wander to different parts of Scripture, we might think about what Paul said about the church, what Paul said about the body of Christ. He reminds us that just because you're not a hand, you shouldn't fret. The church can't be all hands. And just because you're not a foot or not an eye, don't fret. Your part in the body is just as important as all of the others. We need all of the gifts and the talents and the strengths of all of the different body parts in order to be a good body. Now, we're all a part of different clubs and societies and organizations outside of the church, and all of those function with different gifts and strengths. But many of those organizations are focused on an issue or a cause, a cause. And we are focused on trying to be a part of the kingdom of God. Most other clubs don't demand a depth of connection that maybe the gospel demands of us. And so in a lot of ways, the church is sort of without parallel. I spent a lot of time this week thinking about how do we describe what it is that is being asked of us in Matthew 18. And, and at the risk of being tiresome with talking about team sports again, the best I could come up with was, was sports. Many of us have played on a team at one time or another, and playing on a team means that you have a coach. We've had teammates, and all of us have had different roles on the team. Now, we've had times when one of our teammates, or maybe it was us, made a mistake, and our mistake allowed uh, a goal to be scored, a run to come in or the other team to put points on the board. In the face of those mistakes, usually what our coaches would do, sometimes they'd yell at us pretty good, but, but usually the good coaches, the best coaches, what they do is they tell us what we did wrong, how we can do it better, so that for the sake of the community, for the sake of our team, we could exercise our gifts in a more positive way. So if you were, say, a sixth grade second baseman who struggled to get his glove all the way on the ground, your coach would encourage you to get your glove on the ground so the right fielder didn't have to do your work for you. Or say you were a basketball player and you really liked the way Michael Jordan threw that one-handed entry pass into the post, but it never worked for you because you were... 5'8", and your hands weren't the size of dinner plates. Your coach would admonish you, correct you, and remind you that you needed to find a better way to do it within your skills, within your strength. And when coach does that, does it feel like you're being picked on? Does it feel like you're being called out for your sins? Upon hearing that, you realize that what exists within your team and what exists within the relationship between you and your coach is a depth that you trust one another. You're on a team with one another, so you tell one another the truth. 
The truth about your skills so that as a team you can achieve what you want to together. And within the context of the church, there are times when we face difficult situations, difficult truths. And there's times when maybe we do need to talk to one another about something. But we have to have we have to be able to do that within the context of all of Matthew 18, not just verses 15 through 17. Because 15 through 17, left alone, feel like an attack. They feel like someone is picking on us. They feel like someone is out to get us. And left alone, they undercut the community that we're trying to build. You see, these verses, if a member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. Out, out, of, out of the context of Matthew 18, it feels jarring. But from the beginning, verse 1, greatness is determined by those who are willing to serve and be humble like little children. You can't genuinely, genuinely correct someone if you're not willing to humbly live with them, humbly like a child. Our common life is governed by our willingness to help one another by not putting stumbling blocks in place, in front of one another. You can't correct someone if you're constantly putting a stumbling block in front of them. A church is called to be the kind of people who chase down the lost sheep, not leaving them alone out in the wilderness. You'll never have the ability to talk to someone about something difficult if you're not willing to chase them down out of love when they have great need. In verses 21 through 35, we see that we cannot admonish or reprove somebody if we're not willing to forgive and forgive and forgive again. And the warning we ultimately have about all of this is that if we somehow become the one who is unforgiving, we risk not being forgiven either. For our reception of forgiveness from God drives how it is that we treat and care and love one another. It drives our, our encouragement to love, to embrace, to support, to forgive, and to pick one another up countless times. Because if we're going to be a different kind of community, we need to be a kind of community that does that. There are plenty of places we can go to get kicked when we're down. But if we're all in this together, then the different kind of community we form as a church following the Lordship of Jesus Christ is one that picks us up when we should fall. Because you and I most surely will. You know, several times in, in my life as a pastor, this passage has come up as the one that is appointed for preaching on a given Sunday. And usually when I preach this passage, I just kind of skip to the beginning part really fast. And get to that last 
verse. For where two or more are gathered, there I am with you also. I think this verse is so important in so many ways. Where two or more are gathered undergirds our very belief and practice as a Baptist church. We could have a church governance or polity conversation that would bore you even more. But the good news is when two or more are gathered in Jesus' name, the Lord is with us. And that is good, good news. Because in a church, and hopefully in this church, we see that we're all in this together. Sometimes that means there's hard times. Sometimes it means there's really good times. Sometimes it means we have to live out the second half of that first tenant of our covenant. That verses 15, 16, and 17 of Matthew 18 would call us to. But beyond the difficulty of those verses, I hope that in doing that, we're actually going to a brother or a sister. So in talking about how we can be better, we're not pulling a gotcha. And we're not calling somebody on making a huge mistake. Rather, we take these words so seriously that we only get to them after we've lived out the rest of chapter 18 also. Because we're humble. Because we've chased one another down out of love. Because we're willing to forgive countless times. And because we've created a community where we're all in this together. So when something needs to be said, we realize it's out of deep love and trust that someone has said it to us. It's out of trust, it's out of love, and it's out of a different kind of community that we have said it. This morning, I think God is calling the church, maybe our church even, into deeper community. I think that's what these verses do. Not just, not just become a church that takes on the hard verses of Matthew 18, 15 through 17, but be a church that takes on all of Matthew chapter 18. For when we do that, we begin to experience the love of God and the body of Christ in a more significant, in a more deep, in a more powerful, and in a life-changing sort of way. When we live the whole chapter, then verses 15 through 17 just become three little verses that are a part of a 35-verse whole. But apart from the truth of these verses, it's hard to have the whole passage. So I hope, as a church, we can take the whole of Matthew 18 and see that we are all in this together. That the love of God binds us and brings us and cares for us and provides for us as we act with humility towards one another as we chase one another down like a lost sheep, as we forgive one another 70 times 7, and in doing that, we generate the love of God in such a way that we cannot help but live it well with one another and live it all out together. 
That is my hope. That is my prayer. And that is what I, I hope we are called to today. Let's consider that call as we go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious and loving God, this morning we have read a difficult passage from the gospel. But it's here. It's here for a reason. And so we trust it. We trust you. We trust that if we take on living out a faith like you offer us in Matthew 18, that even if we have to do the difficult verses of 15 through 17, that you will be with us. And that these verses will not feel like attacks, but will feel like ways that we help one another get better and stronger. And that they're expressions of our genuine love that we have for one another. Lord, you have placed a high calling on all of us. Lord, you never said it would be easy, but you promised to be with us always. And so, Lord, be with us today. Be with us as we ponder this call. Be with us as we listen to what you've said to us through prayers and through scriptures and through songs and through sermons today. Be with us and lead us in the way that you would have us to go. This, O Lord, is our prayer today, a prayer that we know you hear, and a prayer that we trust you will answer. We offer it in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.